Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Once a month or so, um, I, I participate. We, we get a couple couples together. The, 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 it, the composition of the group changes from time to time. We play in this like trivia contest. You go out to dinner and play in this trivia thing, and it's always kind of fun. Last night it was at, and, and we win about half the time. And like last night we ended up coming in third because we got the last question where you can kind of bet a bunch of points. We got it wrong, missed it by one year. But it's always kind of funny to see the, the different questions that come out and the interactions with people. So, for example, one of the questions last night was, in essence, according to the U.S. State Department, what is the first country in the world that is listed by the U.S. State Department that begins with the letter L? So everybody was trying to, is it Latvia, you know, is Lapland a country, all those, those type of stuff. And you're just kind of, and you have a limited time, so you're kind of running through this quickly, trying to think of different uh, countries. And somebody would say something in the group I was in, they'd say, no, no, that's not a country, that's a, that's a city in, you know, wherever. And so we were having that discussion. And then one of my, my, my very, very dear friend Joe says, I've got it. it it's Laos. Laos is the, the first country. And one of the other people there say, well, are you sure Laos is a country? Now, my buddy Joe served a tour of duty in Vietnam. And he says, you know, he carried a machine gun, did all that stuff. He says, trust me, Laos is a country. And I said, okay, that, that's it. That ends the discussion there. It is definitely a country. We put that down, got a bunch of points for it. But it was one of those things where, yeah, okay, this is, you know, anybody that served in Vietnam during that period of time, definitely, you know, if they tell me Laos is a country, I'm going to believe them. And, of course, it is a country, and we were right with that. All right. Here is the final Jeopardy answer. You know, like Chicago has that hit song 25 or 60 or 6 to 4, which I, I've, I've told this, this story before. That that's for people who wonder where that came from. It's just it's the clock. The the guy who was writing the song is awake in the middle of the night and he's got the tune and he's got the lyrics and he's looking for this catchphrase and he looks up at, at the clock and the time is 25 or 26 to 4. So it's like 335 or 334, and that becomes 25 or 6 to 4. It's, it's no magic behind the thing. The lyrics just are, are the song. In any event, my final Jeopardy answer is 1750 or 7500, give or take. 1750 or 7500, give or take. All right, that's the final Jeopardy you know, uh, that is, that's the final Jeopardy answer. The question would be, what was the stock market, the Dow Jones average, how far is it down since Joe Biden took over, and how far is it down from its high? 
if you haven't been paying attention today, the news is pretty much the same as it was yesterday and pretty much is the same as it was the day before and pretty much is the same it was a week ago and a month ago and for a good portion of this year. The stock market is cratering once again. When I last pulled it up, it was down almost 700 points today. And this has been after day after day after day after day of relentless dropping. The Dow Jones Industrial Average all-time high was 36,952. The Dow Jones has dropped below 30,000. Um, and that's that 30,000 mark was kind of like one of those, those barriers. Oh, it's not going to go back below 30,000. It's now dropped below 30,000. So the Dow Jones is down right now, and it's fluctuating a little bit, but 7,500 from its all-time high. When Joe Biden was inaugurated in January of 2021, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was 31,188. Again, it's now around 29,437. So it's down about 1750. So 1750 or 7500, give or take, tells you how much the market has cratered over the course of the Biden administration. Now, I understand there's some people who say, well, you know, this 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 isn't old Joe's fault. I mean, it's not his problem. There's got the war in Ukraine that's going on, and then that's putting inflationary strains on the world economy. And that is true, but it's only true to an extent. The way this administration handled coming out of COVID was an absolute disaster. And they continued printing money that we did not have and pumping it into an economy at a time when People weren't going back to work. People didn't want to go back to work. People could have gone back to work, but were choosing not to because the government was paying them so much money. Inflation first took a huge spike in April of 2021 after we sent out the third pandemic stimulus check that was well after, for all intents and purposes, the pandemic was over. That fueled inflation, which has not turned back. And now you have the dramatic increase in inflation. Prices are going up. It is completely and totally shattered confidence in the market. You have a number of companies who are missing their earnings targets because of a variety of factors, but including, you know, high costs. On top of that, you look at Biden's war on energy, which is where we say, hey, you know, we We want to get rid of fossil fuels. We want to get rid of that evil natural gas. We don't want you to burn coal. And above all, we don't want you to drive those gasoline-powered automobiles. We're going to try to force you out of them. Well, we're not ready to do any of that. And the truth is people still drive gasoline-powered automobiles, and people still heat their home with natural gas. And there are lots of electric companies that still produce electricity using coal. But this war on all these industries and the Biden administration threatening essentially that it wants to put them out of business. And then the Biden administration wonders why, hey, why aren't you producing more oil? Why aren't you producing more natural gas? Even though I've told people that I wanted to put you out of business in the next five or 10 years, the energy prices, supply chain problems, 
and, of course, the profligate spending, which has fueled inflation, and candidly, nobody has any idea of where this is going to end, has really created the stock market. It looks like today we will officially move into the area of a bear market. A bear market is defined as a decline of 20% from a market high, so it looks like we're down 20%. For all those of you who are going to be getting your quarterly 401k statements or something like that, Uh, at the end of this month, my advice is be sure you are sitting down. If you're not somebody that follows the market on a daily basis and keeps track of your holdings obsessively, like people like me do, um, what you want to do is you want to be sure you are sitting down maybe with a very strong adult beverage or whatever it is that you have that soothes you. Have your favorite, have your pet around because, you know, your pet's going to love you even though the stock market hasn't because the decline you're going to see in this those quarterly statements is going to shock you. The amount of net worth and wealth that has disappeared in this country over the course of the last week, the last month, the last quarter, and the last year is truly staggering. And for people who say, well, it's not a big deal, it's just money on paper, that might be fine if you're 25 or you're 30 and you've got a long time horizon. But if you, if you are in retirement now or you are planning to be in retirement in the relatively near future and your retirement decisions are based on, hey, this is how much I have as a nest egg, and this is how much I can plan to withdraw on a given year, and this is where I expect that the, the returns are going to be, and this is how much I think I'm going to earn my, on my money. The, the truth is that whatever amount of money you had, I don't know, st- at the beginning of the year, you now have about 20% less. Just one out of every $5 you had in your account has now just kind of gone up in smoke. And, and will it come back? You hope. You know, historically it does, but you don't know how long it's going to take to come back. And this is all inflation that is driving these huge costs that are up there. So for people who say, well, it really doesn't matter or things like that, that, that's easy to say. Like I say, maybe if you're 25 or 30, but if you are in retirement or you're nearing retirement or you are planning for retirement sometime in the foreseeable future, what's going on in the market this year, the economy, the impact of inflation, it's just been absolutely catastrophic. There's no other word to describe it. And today continues continues that trend as we move fully into a bear market, all because we cannot figure out how to grapple with inflation. And that pressure is just causing the stock market to tank. When we come back, what were people thinking? I'll share the story and we'll discuss. Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are changing colors, and you know what that means. It's time for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring featuring Poblaki Paving, 100% employee-owned. You can request a quotation from them by calling their number, 414-476-9130, or visiting their website at poblakipaving.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. All right, I, I... I'm sort of frustrated by this because, again, there's been so many of these crimes that are going on. A lot of the traditional things that happen in law enforcement aren't happening. As I have said repeatedly, hit and runs are are cases that are frequently cleared at a high rate. By clearing, I mean they they are solved at a high rate. 
Why? Because when somebody hits and runs, normally there, not always, but normally there are, are witnesses on the scene that get a description of the car, or there might be security cameras in an area that take video of the car. So you have an idea of what the car is. In addition, when there's hit and runs, there, there's always damage that's done to the car. So you, you hit somebody, you drive off. Well, there's going to be stuff. There's going to be dents. There's going to be windows that are taken out. There's going to be things like that. So it's a lot of times it's easier to trace that car. Somebody takes the car to the body shop and they try to get it fixed and the body shop reports it and, and you figure that out. So that's why historically hit and runs have been cleared at a very, very high rate. The problem right now is it happens so regularly on the mean streets of Milwaukee that I think the police are just absolutely overwhelmed. In the last couple of weeks, we've had at least one, two, three, four fatal hit and runs where they've got pictures of the car, they've got descriptions, and I would have bet my bottom dollar that all of those they would have identified and there would be charges brought against the people that, that ended up being responsible for the fatal hit and runs. And I stand, I'll be willing to be corrected, but I don't think there's been charges brought against anybody in the one cases that I'm thinking about because I, I think, again, the Milwaukee Police Department is stretched very, very thinly in the first instance. And secondly, there are just so many of these that you're, you're absolutely kind of overwhelmed. So that the hit and runs continue and people die simply because they're, they're crossing the street when you have somebody who could care less about, I don't know, anybody else's life who blows through a red light or blows around a stop sign or whatever. Which brings me to a story that, that thankfully, that the good news is it didn't result in a fatality. But there, there is a bad news aspect of it. All right, Wednesday afternoon, so two days ago, around three o'clock, this happened on 16th and Lincoln on the city's south side. A 61-year-old woman was apparently in, in the crosswalk when a car was making a left turn and struck the woman who was crossing the street. She had the, the right-of-way, and after she was hit, well, we all know how the story ends, that the, the car you know, just drives off and, and leaves her. Okay, in in the street. Now, the good news ultimately is she was taken to the hospital, but she survived. Unlike many of these cases, the driver you know took off. The police you know have a description of the car. I think you know the TV stations have put pictures of the car out there because there were surveillance cameras in the intersection. As far as I know, they haven't arrested the person who hit the lady, the 61 year old lady, and, and drove off. But Hopefully they they will catch them, and then that person will be put in prison for a number of years because multiple surveillance cameras at nearby businesses captured the impact. All right, here's the interesting aspect of the story. Okay, so you say, Jeff, all right, we could talk about this every day. Here's the interesting aspect of the story, as was reported by Channel 12 yesterday. Here's what they write. Multiple surveillance cameras at nearby businesses captured the impact. The driver kept going, but so did other cars. And then they interview this woman. She says, "Um, as I'm driving by, I see this lady lying on the floor as I turn to my right. So I pulled right up. I put my emergency lights on, ran to her and made sure she was fine. She was screaming at me, help me, help me, help me. They, They hit me. 
And then she says she rushed back to her car. She called 911, tried to comfort the vehicle, the victim. I waited until the ambulance got there, asked her if she was fine to stay with them. She said yes. All right, but, but here's the dazzling detail about the story. Apparently, the vast majority of people who were in that area continued driving by, continued driving by. They either witnessed this or they witnessed the immediate aftermath of this woman lying in the street, and very few people sought to stop to offer help. Um, the lady who, who stopped and did help said, we should help each other. There's too much crime going around for nobody to watch one another and just stop by and see. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess this is the aspect of the story that, that really caught me. You know, there used to be the old cartoon uh, daily comic strip, Pogo, where he said, you know, we have seen the enemy and he is us. And I guess I, I'm sitting here thinking you have a woman who's run down in broad daylight, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on 16th and Lincoln, and people just drive by and don't stop and don't offer to to help her or stand around and, and serve as witnesses for the police. It's just like, oh, let, let's just kind of drive by, kind of like, I don't know, if you're walking down the street and you see a gum wrapper on the street, you just ignore it. You don't bend over to pick it up. In this case, you have drivers that apparently didn't stop to want to help the lady who had just been run over by the hit-and-run driver. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My question is somewhat rhetorical, but I would like to discuss this. How do you live with yourself if you see somebody who is just obviously in distress and unlike the one woman that they interviewed on TV, you just drive by and don't offer to help? 855-616-1620. I mean, seriously, what is wrong with us collectively? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. A lot of people, Jeff, are hesitant to help because they don't want to get sued if they try to help, um, but they make the person they helped uh, worse. I don't know. I, I don't think most people think about I, I just I don't think most people think, gee, I, I'd be a good Samaritan. I'd stop and I'd help this person, but I'm afraid I might get sued. Uh, let's talk to Jim in Waukesha. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Um, as I I told your uh, your guy there, I, first of all, I can't. I saw that on TV, and that woman was lying there. Cars are driving by, and I'm sitting yeah. there all <laughs> sadder than you can believe. I can't even believe it. But on the other hand, I mean, you can't drive by and live with yourself. I don't think. But as I told him about two years ago, I um, I was having some problems with my leg. I thought it was. Uh, you know, just getting a little weaker, so I'd gone to a gym and worked out, and then I went to another place where I worked out the same night and worked out really hard, thinking that that'll, that'll take care of it. Well, I walked out of the door carrying a bag and uh, tried to step into the street, and my leg gave out. I didn't know that I had a bulging disc at the time, mm-hmm. and I f- actually fell, fell into the street. It was 9.30 at night, and <laughs> cars drove by, at least four different cars. They would slow up and take a look. And I, I couldn't get my leg under me, and I could not stand up, no matter what happened. And nobody was so, helping you. No, nobody rolled, stops to help. No, I rolled, I rolled around on the thing, and you see people slow up, and, and then they would take off. And luckily, one of the people that I worked out with, a young lady, had come back to do some paperwork at this place where we work out together. Yeah. And she happened to come back and picked me up and got me back on my feet. 
but I was I was amazed at that. I said there were at least four cars that drove by me at nine thirty at night. Yeah, you know this isn't like two in the morning or something. Like I fell out of a bar or something. Right. But I, I don't know. I don't know what what this says about us as a. Uh, it doesn't say country, much. But <laughs> no. Oh thing. gosh. Well, the thing that I saw on TV was way worse than what happened to me. But still. I couldn't believe that that many people drove by me and just let me lie around in the well, well, in right. gutter, in effect. No, no, th- thanks to culture. I mean, look, and I, I understand there's maybe there's safety concerns and things like that, but but like in the situation yesterday, there's people who know this is a 61-year-old lady. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, I mean, I understand in today's day and age, maybe the, somebody is thinking, gee, um, I, I don't know, is this a scam? I stop my car, I get out of, my, I get out of the car to help somebody, and then somebody jumps out with a gun and carjacks me. But this is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's a 61-year-old lady who was involved and was the victim of a hit-and-run. And like you say, it's pretty dramatic. Cars just driving by like she was, you know, the the, the wrappers of a, I don't know, of a Snickers bar that was left on the street that nobody wants to sit and bend over and pick up, and instead nobody wants to help her. I'm telling you, you know, this is maybe this is just the, the callousness that we get with what goes on in society, and maybe this is just the effect of, again, so much crime that's out there and people, you know, not wanting to be the, the next victim and stuff. But I'm telling you, if we can't take care of each other in these regards and there's nobody that's willing to stop and help out in situations like this, we've we've got a heck of a mess beyond just the out-of-control criminality that tends to plague us on a daily basis. Your Daryl Brooks story is interesting. Um, the, the, the judge does not have to allow the defense attorney off. And I would be stunned if she does at this point in time. Is that because it's would? Do you think it would affect the trial Absolutely. timeline? Oh, okay. Well, oh no. I mean, well, well, it just it's a mess. I, I mean, when you have defendants at the end of the day have a right to represent themselves, it's always a disaster. I, I mean, it, it just is. It, it turns yeah. this is already a circus. It turns it into an even bigger circus if you have somebody who's has no training in the law who's facing these kind of serious issues. Um, who decides I want to represent myself. What the judge could do is sort of appoint the attorney to be with, like of counsel, be in the courtroom to offer advice. Um, you, you let Mr. Brooks represent himself, but you have an attorney present to, I don't know, raise objections that maybe somebody who's not trained in the law would have. But no, this is, it's just, you you see this sometimes in these sort of cases where you have defendants who are, for a variety of reasons, out of control, who now want to do this. And the concern becomes, you, you don't want the trial to turn into a circus, but you don't also don't want the record so mucked up that when there there's a conviction and then there's the inevitable appeal an appeals court looks at this and says oh this guy didn't get a fair trial because he couldn't represent himself and you know how do we put somebody in prison for the rest of his life so it's 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 a mess this this is not going this is not going to be one of these trials i think that just has a nice glide path to the result that it needs to have nothing about the build up or lead up to this has been quote unquote normal i guess you would say i mean 2 weeks ago uh, he was Daryl Brooks was admonished for appearing to sleep during one of the pretrial right, hearings. And then you had the outburst. Right, right. the outburst in that same day. I think that was the same day. You yeah. had the toothache last week that pushed off his final court date. So nothing about this has been uh, steady as she goes. Right, and this this is just the latest situation. Again, if I if I were the judge, and 
I, I, I had situations like I had this happened once when I was a federal practitioner, practitioner and um, I think the you, the judge has to be very careful, again, about making the record. I, I would not be surprised if, again, the, the attorney's not allowed to withdraw or if he's allowed to withdraw, nevertheless, he's required to be in the courtroom to, again, offer technical assistance. Have you, ever, like that. have you ever been part of a trial that where someone represented themselves? And like, do you have experience of what that is is like? Well, yeah, I did. Um, matter of fact, it was the first, it, but it was a kind of a different context. It was the first really big drug case that I ever handled. It was a, a Miami to Milwaukee cocaine conspiracy case the the kingpin we, we charged it under the, the old kingpin statute that they used and the the kingpin was a guy named orlando estevez and we ended up going to trial with like 12 or 13 defendants and orlando who was the kingpin had cooked up this scheme with attorney because that back then we forfeited we took the money and the government you, you take drug money and you, you seize the drug money and so orlando with his attorney, cooked up this scheme where they, they wanted to preserve the issue on appeal. They wanted to challenge the forfeiture laws. So Orlando said, well, I, I can't I can't hire my attorney of my choice because the government has all this money. And without getting too far into the weeds, he then said, I'm going to go to trial. I'm going to represent myself. So he's looking at life in prison. And so there, there's like 13 defendants. This was in the ceremonial courtroom in downtown Milwaukee. And everybody else, as interpreters, it was kind of like the Nuremberg thing. It was actually... As I look back on it, it was a really cool experience. Um, and so there were like 12 attorneys representing all the other defendants. And then there was Orlando um, kind of by himself. And they, they, they went through the trial. He went through the trial, got convicted of pretty much everything, got just a boatload of time, and then tried to raise that argument on appeal that he was denied his right to counsel, Sixth Amendment right to counsel, because, you know, the forfeiture thing. And the uh, U.S. Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals had none of that. So Orlando spent a good portion of the last 30 or 40 years in prison. Pardon my ignorance with this question. Can If you defend yourself, can you call witnesses? Sure. Can you, do, you can do everything that an attorney would be able to do, albeit way worse. But like, sure. Sure. So you could just, it could just, okay. No, no, you, I mean, you could, you could, you got to, and what happens a lot of times is that people who are doing this, they, they try to make statements to the jury, they try to testify, but without testifying, like, like, but no, you can, I mean, if you are truly representing yourself, let, let us, let us say in some alternate universe that I get charged with some crime mm-hmm. or something and I decide I want to represent myself, which I wouldn't do, but I, you, you could, you could stand up, you could cross examine the witnesses. You could present witnesses. You could get on the witness stand yourself and testify. But again, it's 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 a mess because if you're not trained in this, you don't know when to object. You don't know what's an appropriate objection, and it quickly becomes a circus, which sometimes is what the defendants want. They they want it to sure. become a circus. So it's and again, I, when I this I've been following this, and I'm thinking this is just it's just the latest thing, and I this has been a headache for the judge, and you really need the judge. And I think she's done a good job so far. You really need to handle this. I don't want to say with kid gloves, but you really need to be careful with this because you don't want to you want to make sure there is a fair trial. You don't want to lose control of it because of the defendant and his or her antics. And you also want to preserve the you want to make sure the record is such that when there is a conviction, if there is a conviction there, that there's not an issue on appeal. So follow this. This is going to be an interesting story over the course of the next couple of weeks. When we come back, all right, I'd like an extra day off. How about you? Stick around. 
Okay, I, I've told this story before. I, after I got out of college, I had like a nine-month wait before I was going to go to law school. So I went to work for an insurance company in downtown Milwaukee. It became Assurant, but at the time it was Time Insurance Company, and it was based. They had the, the they had a building on like Fifth and, and Wells, and it, it was they were very very good to me. I, I've always I, I just I I just I had a I didn't necessarily love the work, but I, I they were very, very good to me. And so what time insurance, they, they, it was basically, it was a health insurance company, and also I think they wrote a little bit of life insurance, but they wrote it through, they had a bunch of independent agents who would, would like sell the policies. And the home office, you know, where I worked, it existed to, you know, support the independent agents that were out there and selling, selling insurance. And then you had an underwriting department that issued the insurance and things like that. During the summer, what they found was there were very few independent agents that were out selling insurance on Friday afternoons. And so, you know, a lot of the work would be, you know, you'd, you'd get a lot of a lot of the departments were involved in like handling calls. Hey, this is this insurance agent. I've got this question. Or I've got that question or whatever. Well, th- there wasn't a lot of that. The activity dropped off dramatically in the summer because the insurance agents, by and large, I, 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 they, I don't think they felt that they were going to be able to sell too many insurance policies like health insurance policies on, on a Friday afternoon at three o'clock. So they, they ended up like taking Friday afternoons off. I'm not saying everybody did, but there was a noticeable drop off in business. So what the company did is they had what they would announce and what they would call summer hours, which meant that the way it worked is Monday through Thursday, and I, you'd start like 15 minutes early, and they'd knock 15 minutes off the lunch hour, and you'd work 15 minutes later, or however they added it up. But the bottom line was they closed the office at noon. So employees got Friday afternoons off, uh, and, and you got full pay. So it was really like a four-and-a-half-day work week, but you'd made up for it because you worked a little bit longer on those first four days. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I was single at the time, and it, it was just great because it was like having a three-day weekend almost every week because we, you could go out, you could play golf Friday afternoon. You could just you had that, that extra half a day, which really seemed like it was a three-day weekend. And I admit, I, I loved it. And it was summer hours, and I know there's all sorts of businesses that do the, the same thing now during the summer, and then it reverts back. Um, there's some businesses that that's not appropriate for, but I always felt that in that business, it was a great perk for the employees. Well, as we try to get people back to work and we try to manage that that work-life balance that people are are really, really concerned about nowadays as people try to balance that, yeah, I want to work and I want to be successful and things like that, but at the same time, life is about more than just work. A number of companies are experimenting with different ways to keep their employees happy. Story in the New York Times today about this this concept of four-day work weeks. There's been this experiment that has been going on in Britain. I understand it's, it's different than here. But there's this experiment where they have 70 companies who have been participating in a six-month experiment in which their employees get a paid-off day, paid day off each week. So um, what they do is the, the salaries are the same. I think for most, if not all of the companies, you, you make that up. You, you know, you have to come to work a little bit earlier. They shorten the lunch hour. You stay a little bit later. But the bottom line is you, you have 
of that four-day work week. Nearly halfway into the six-month trial, in which, again, employees at 73 companies get a paid day off weekly, the vast majority of the companies say that they love it and that they're likely or extremely likely to continue the four-day work week beyond the the end of this six-month trial experiment in late November. All but two of the companies who responded to the survey said productivity was either the same or had improved. Six companies said they believed that productivity had significantly improved. Now, the four-day work week has been around for a long time. 1956, Richard Nixon, when he was vice president, he said he foresaw it in the not-too-distant future. But the truth is, it it really hasn't materialized on any scale uh, so far. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As employers wrestle with the idea of getting people back into the workplace— what do you think about the idea of a four-day work week? Would that be something that is attractive to you? Do you think it would work for companies, understanding that you know, you'd have to work longer on, on those four days that you're there? So it's still it's not necessarily not a 40-hour work week, but it's, it's a day off with pay every week. 855-616-1620. Is this an idea whose time has come? We discuss. 855-616-1620. Jeremy in Pell Lake. Jeremy, good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? Good. Okay, what do you think about this four-day work week idea? Uh, I think it, I think it's great. I've been in the wine and spirit industry delivering for almost 20 years, and we work a four-day work week, and it works fantastic, I think. How? So what? give me an idea. Do you work more than eight hours a day? Do you The days you work, are you working yeah. like 10? Okay. So you're still working a 40-hour we work, work, we work week? We work four tens. Okay. Yeah, we work four tens, and uh, we work Tuesday through Friday, and it gives me uh, my my weekend, and it also gives me a weekday to, you know, schedule doctor's appointments and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it works great. I mean, I wish, uh, I wish more industries would go to it. I think they could... Uh, probably retain a lot of their employees a lot better. I, I would imagine in your industry as well, Monday might tend to be a slow day anyway. So the, the fact that, you know, that that you start on Tuesday, that, that might be where the, the greater demand is, I would imagine as well. Uh, well, I, I, I think I see where your point is that a lot of restaurants and, and yeah. businesses are closed on Mondays. Yeah. Uh, but usually what it is is it gives our, our sales reps a day to kind of get orders taken right. so that we can yeah. move into the week. So, uh, I mean, yeah, but, I mean, you could work it. I, personally, I would love to work Mondays and then have off Friday. Yeah, no, I, no <laughs> thanks for going. No, no, I get that. But I would imagine, again, in your industry, Friday, you know, getting ready for the weekend is probably one of the bigger times where there's the ordering and, hey, we're, we're looking at a big crowd on Saturday night or for Sunday brunch or, or whatever. But I understand the point is it works. Gwen in Bayview. Gwen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I'm a nurse in the city, and I just wanted to um, give the perspective from the healthcare side of things. Most people are working very unconventional schedules. The downside to that is that you have to have a very large team to fill in the gaps. 
because you don't change coverage in the facility or the hospital. Right. In terms of Monday through Friday, you're still operating 24-7. Right. So my unit has 230 people working part-time schedules. So it, it's for us, but it's not always great for the patients. Yeah. So much turnover. Yeah, that, that, that is, no, thanks for calling. That's an interesting, that, that is an interesting perspective. And one of the things, if you, you know, you're in the hospital for an extended period of time, it, it's kind of nice to, it's nice to see the same faces on, on a daily basis. Let's talk to Armando and Racine. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how you doing, Jeff? Good. Okay, four-day work week. Is yeah, it a, um, what do you think? Well, uh, we've been on a four-day work week probably for the last four or five years where I'm at. I work in manufacturing. Okay. Uh, and uh, we think it works great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, with... Uh, our system, we were having difficulty. We don't do um, mandatory overtime where I'm at, so we do it volunteer on a voluntary basis. Right. But when you only have a two day work week, uh, two day weekend, it's kind of hard to get people to volunteer on a Saturday because they are going to get Sunday off. Right. So we went to this four day work week where we're mm. working ten hour shifts Monday to Thursday. Right. Now we get more volunteers coming in to work on Fridays because we only work five hour shifts on a Friday. So they look at it like they get a two and a half day weekend, and they can still get overtime out of it, and it worked really good for our company. Yeah, how brutal is it to work the ten day, the, the ten hour shifts on on the regular days? That is that tough? Oh, uh, no, not really. Once you get acclimated to it, yeah. it's not so bad. Yeah. Um, and you get uh, you and know, you get Friday off. Yeah, were hesitant to it. Yeah, you know, the guys were hesitant to it at first, and about. Two, about two years ago, they took a vote at work because there were a couple of guys that wanted to go back to the eight-hour shift, and the majority voted no. They wanted to stay on the ten-hour shift. Yeah, no, thank, thanks. No, it, it makes sense. I, I mean, I understand that. I'm hearing from a lot of people in manufacturing. Jeff, my shop years ago worked four ten-hour days, half getting Monday off, half getting Friday off, full shop Tuesday through Thursday. Seniority determined who got to pick which day you took off. We ended up um, loving it. Jeff, I used to work a four-day week. It was four 10-hour days, then Friday's off. I think it was great. Jeff, a four-day work week can work well for back office and some manufacturing jobs, but clearly it's not an option for trades, more difficult in healthcare, call centers, um, things like that. Yeah, I mean, right, there's obviously going to be some industries where you, you have to have have it staffed and, and you if you're going to do the four-day work week it's got to be with again like rotating shifts you know people that are going to work monday through thursday and people that are going to work tuesday through you know saturday or whatever that is and i also appreciate in the trades when you're i don't know you're you're putting on a roof or whatever that's you know you, you can't take that extra day off but i do think it's going to be something you're going to see more of Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Just another quick programming note. We are scheduled, right, 210 this afternoon, to be joined by uh, Senator Rick Scott from the state of South Carolina. He is... 
one of the people being prominently mentioned as uh, a candidate for president for the Republican nomination for president in 2024. He's going to be in Wisconsin tomorrow. He's going to be appearing with Senator Ron Johnson and Tim Michaels and a number of other people at an event at the Racine County Fairgrounds called Fall Fest. And in anticipation and in advance of his appearance here, we're going to talk to him about a number of things. He's again, he's scheduled to be joining joined us. And um, I just I'm excited to have the chance to talk to Senator Scott, because like I say, I would not be surprised. And who knows exactly what's going to happen in politics? And I don't know that any of us can make a prediction as to who the candidates are going to be right now. But I would not be surprised if um, he at least is one of the potential candidates for president um, in 2024. All right. Another one of the candidates for president if Joe Biden doesn't run, and I don't think Biden's going to run again, is the governor of California, Gavin Newsom. He has been taking a a very, very high profile on a number of issues. He wants to do to the United States what he has done to California. But um, I, I think you can make an argument that the mess that California finds itself in is in large part because of the liberal governance. But but some people want that. Some people think that this is absolutely great. And Gavin, uh, Gavin Newsom wants to take his brand of, of liberalism, and he wants to, again, bring it across the country. So he's been rolling out all sorts of different policies. He's already challenged Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, to a series of, of debates on, on various issues and things of the like. And I, I think a lot of that's political theater, but there's nothing wrong with good political theater. But there, there, is, there is something that even Gavin Newsom has been reluctant to get on board with, But it's something that we see discussed constantly, including here in Wisconsin. And I want to use Newsom's veto of this in California as a launching point for our, our discussion. There is no question that one of the, the big problems facing our society today, and it's been this way for years and years, is the fascination that people have with with drugs. And for purposes of this conversation, I'm not talking about things like marijuana. I'm talking about serious narcotics. I'm talking about heroin. I am talking about, you know, cocaine. I'm talking about methamphetamine. You know, those those are the things that we are discussing. And we have in this country launched we, we had a couple pronged approach to the war on drugs. First of all, we, we have criminalized the the distribution of hard drugs. We have, by and large, criminalized the possession of hard drugs. We have also encouraged treatment for people. But nevertheless, because of the addictive nature of this and the fascination that some people have in society, we've never gotten a really good handle on the drug problem. And now we're really starting to see this hit because with the opioid crisis and the the explosion of phenytal, um, you you have people who are just overdosing right and and left because of the potency of these things. And, And so it's made this even more of a crisis. Well, in California, one of the ideas that was kicked around, matter of fact, the legislature had even gone so far to pass it, would be they were planning to set up supervised drug injection sites. And this would be 
you know, set up where people who want to use illegal drugs, again, we're not talking about marijuana, we're talking about you want to shoot heroin, you want to take methamphetamine, you want to do cocaine, you want to do combinations of cocaine and heroin, anything goes, you would be able to go to these injection sites and you would be able to shoot up, snort up, do whatever you want, and you would do it under the watch of staff members who would be trained to you know, intervene in cases of overdose. It's sort of up in the air as to whether the, the staff members would be able to and authorized to provide you with like the needles and stuff so you could make sure that you were getting like the clean needles. But this was the idea, open supervised injection facilities. All right. And again, drug users would probably get things like clean needles. And and the, the people that would man these would not only watch for overdoses, but they would also in, try to encourage people to get treatment. You know, you probably, you know, let's talk a minute before you, you know, inject yourself with that heroin. This could be something bad that, that's going to happen. You know, maybe you should get treatment. And the person says, no, I'll, or I'll do it some other day. And then they inject it. That, so it, it would be supervised. It would be permissible. Um, our number is 855-616-1620. Rhode Island became the first state last year to make sites like this legal statewide. California and Gavin Newsom, um, when this bill came to his desk, he vetoed it. And, you know, for him to veto this is, is really an incredible statement because, you know, his, his basic premise was, I think this is going to encourage more drug use. And while we want to encourage people who are hard drug users, we'd like to get them into treatment. This is not the way to do it. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the argument in favor of this is the people who want to shoot up with heroin or do speed balls of cocaine or take methamphetamine, they're going to do it anyways. They're going to do it. So why not provide them with a place that they could go so when they shoot up or snort up or whatever, there's somebody that will be there in case they start to have a a bad reaction or in case they're going to overdose, there will be somebody there from the state that, that can help them and can provide treatment. That's the argument in favor of it. There's all sorts of arguments against it. 855-616-1620, good idea, bad idea, we discuss. 855-616-1620. Okay, this was too out there, even for Gavin Newsom from California. The idea that, look, we we want to, we're, we're losing the war on drugs. People are deciding to shoot up with heroin or cocaine or fentanyl or, or whatever. We might as well just accept the fact that they're going to do it embrace it, make it easier for them to do that, but do it under the auspices. So if you want to shoot up with heroin, go into one of these clinics or whatever, and you can at least do it and be monitored. So you'll have somebody there who will try to help you out if you overdose. Isn't that better than doing it in the alley? 855-616-1620. Connie in Fond du Lac. Connie, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Good. What do you think of this? Um, I would be totally against that. Um, I feel like everywhere is looking for help, and especially hospitals and nursing homes and places that are there to help people. 
And I just feel like, number one, who is going to man a place like this? And I would rather see people work in a facility that helps people rather mm-hmm. than enables them. Enables. That, that would like be your word. Enabling them. Yeah. No, I, yes. no thanks for calling. I, I, actually, that was kind of the word that, that came to mind as well. You are, I, I think you're enabling them. That's one of our texters says, Jeff, free supervised drug injection centers are very similar to parents hosting beer parties for their underage, kid, underage kids and friends with the justification they're going to do it anyway, so let's make it safe. Both of these ideas lead to the easier proliferation of, of abuse. Let's talk to Dennis. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? Same thing. It's enabling people. And we don't enable alcoholics. We don't offer alcoholics the same opportunity. Uh, Because it would be a really bad idea to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, thanks to call that. I guess, see, that's that's where I I look at it. Plus, and this is, and I, I don't want to like mix this argument up with our discussions we've had about legalizing marijuana and things like that. But the more you normalize this sort of behavior, and, and let's be honest, providing people with a quote unquote safe space where, you know, law enforcement is just going to let you, you know, engage in this this behavior, this incredibly destructive behavior. That, I think, leads to more and more people deciding to do it. Oh, okay, well, I, I might have been a little bit worried that if I tried this, I'd overdose and I'd have a bad reaction. But here, now I'm going to go down to this place because I'll have somebody that will be standing over me and watching me. Also, again, if anybody has seen the devastating impact that all these type of drugs that we have you know, have on people, not just the overdose potential, but the, the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, there is no, in my opinion, there is no such thing as a recreational user of heroin or of cocaine or of, of fentanyl or of, you know, methamphetamine. These are incredibly addictive substances, which frankly destroy lives. And, and, and sometimes it's sooner Sometimes it's a little bit later, but it, but it's always going to happen. And, you know, we, we'll have people, and again, we talk about marijuana, we'll have people to call up and say, oh, I've been a recreational user for years, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and and I, I accept the argument that while I think you, you can become psychologically addicted to marijuana, I accept the idea that it's different, that nobody can make that argument, in my opinion, about these harder drugs. They will, in fact, kill you. Moreover, it's they, they have every potential of rendering you from not being a productive member of society. I mean, and seriously, if you're going to get addicted to heroin, all right, that, that's what your life is going to be all about, and you're going to be stealing from your family, and you're going to be stealing from other people to try to support your junkie habit. And by opening up these safe injection sites, I think you really kind of give the, the government blessing to this sort of stuff. Plus, I, I mean, I appreciate what our first caller, Connie, was saying. I mean, who who really wants to work at these type of places. Can, can you imagine if you're, for all those of you who are listening to me who are like registered nurses or something like this, is is this, that, who's going to go and work at these type of places where your day is spent, oh, nice to see you, oh, glad to see that you're, you're back again, oh, you're going to use your methamphetamine, okay, fine, let me sit here and, and watch while you, uh, again, just get yourself whacked out on that. Or here, here, here's your clean needle. Go inject this. You know, where did you get that? You know, I mean, this really is one step away 
And it's maybe it's only a half step away from having the government because it's the same argument. Well, you know, we're, we're concerned that you might get, you know, some some bad heroin out on the street or some cocaine that's laced with whatever. So here we're going to have the government provide this. So buy it from us, you know, because that's the same argument. You know, buy it from us. We'll sell it to you. Do it on in, in these areas because then we can make sure that it, it that it's not tainted. That that's the same kind of argument. And I mean, the last thing we need to do in this country is to do anything to have, at least in my opinion, encourage the government to raise you know one more junkie. And if you and again, anybody who's ever seen the devastation that these drugs and our fascination in this culture with drugs have would would say, my gosh, who who would think this is a good idea? Let's talk to Mike. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. Hey, See, Good afternoon. I was just—I was listening in, and uh, my concern would be—I mean, our, if I need my fix and I go into one of these places, am I signing a waiver or something? Because, yeah, I, I, I'm under the impression that hey, if I if I OD, they're going to bring me back. Everything's going to be fine. But what if they don't? I mean, doesn't that set up a whole other uh, chance of liabilities for these places or even our government? I, well, you know, I, or, or let's just think about putting aside the legal liability. Imagine if you're you're a family member. Okay, so you've been you've been struggling trying to get your kid. You know, your teenager's hooked on on heroin or whatever, and you've had the kid in and out of rehab, and you've spent thousands of dollars, and then you get that call saying, "Okay, your your kid is overdosed," and they overdosed at, at a government sponsored safe injection site. You know, can can you imagine? Wait a second. I mean, government sponsored safe injection site. I've been having the kid in and out of rehab, and you're telling me he can go there with no fear of law enforcement and, and shoot up, and now he's dead? I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, I can just see the family members being absolutely outraged. Yep. It just, no matter how you slice it, 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 it destroys families. You're yeah. absolutely right. No, it, it does. Thank, thanks for calling. I mean, that's, I mean, if, for, for people who are familiar with my background and stuff, I mean, I was a, I was a narcotics prosecutor for the U.S. Attorney's Office for you know, several years in the 80s and early 90s. And I got to witness, uh, again, you know, dealing with the carnage that all this, uh, that the drug trafficking, you know, caused. And and you got to deal with, you know, family members uh, of people who, you know, had gotten caught up with drugs and, and all the things that it ended up leading to. Because, again, it's not just the drug use, but it's that entire lifestyle that that's built around this. Jeff, I have six years experience of watching my son struggle with heroin addiction. The number one lesson in counseling is do not enable. You want the addict to hit rock bottom in order to seek recovery. I think it would be devastating to provide a comfortable atmosphere for an addict. Addiction affects the loved ones more than the addict in some respects. Thank God my son has been clean for over two years. Well, that's an absolute blessing. But you also wonder, you know, for people who are fighting that battle and struggling to be clean and sober on a daily basis, if, oh, well, well now there's the safe injection sites here. This is just, and I'm sorry, it is a stunningly bad idea. It is being touted by a lot of people under the whole idea of let's be caring, let's be compassionate, let, let's help the drug addicts. I'm sorry, it doesn't help the drug addicts. It makes the problem worse. It makes, I think, more people inclined to use drugs, and it's not something that the government should be a part of. So Mike Spaulding, during one, one of the ads we were running for you know, one of the restaurants, it, it used the word, I haven't heard this word in years, swanky. 
It was like a swanky experience. I, I think I recently had a swanky experience, but I never would have thought to use that word. Right, I, right. Well, exactly. I mean, it's but it was the, they were advertising they were advertising for like the dark room, which is in like St. Kate Hotel, and I, I I've never been there, but they said oh it's it's an elegant it's a swanky experience, and I just and I, I was taken aback a little bit because it's just I, I understand what it means. It's just not a there, there's certain words that you just don't hear a lot, but I mean you know anymore. We should bring it back. Because it does sound nice. Oh yeah, no, I mean it, it wasn't that. It was just I was thinking. It just it struck out because I'm thinking, huh? To me, I haven't. I don't think I've heard somebody use the word swanky. I don't know in a long time. So you're saying the advertisement worked on you? Well, the advertisement it definitely <laughs> it, it caught. No, well, it did. It definitely caught my attention, and I mean it, and not in a bad way. It's just like, huh, swanky. I haven't that. You're right. Maybe we should start a campaign. We should identify various words that are not controversial. You know, because I understand yeah, there's words that have kind of dropped out because they're controversial for whatever. But swanky, at least as far as I can tell, I don't think that would be a controversial sort of word. But I it's, don't think so. It's kind of a cool sounding word, swanky. We need to have like a zoot suit on or something like that. We're when I have hear a swanky, swanky experience, huh? A I'm, hat. I'm trying to think of. Okay, well, in, in the the next week, I've got um, like my we're taking my brother out for his birthday on on Sunday, and then Fran and our my my anniversary is coming up, and we're going out to to dinner next Thursday night. And I we're, we're going to nice places, and, and and maybe maybe we will have swanky experiences at the various restaurants we're going to. We can only hope. We can only hope. All right. <laughs> Bring back Swanky. Okay, you be the programmer. Should I call a one-segment audible because yeah. I'm being swamped with listener input on words and or phrases that might have arguably fallen slightly out of favor, but they think we should bring back yeah. in honor of like Swanky? Absolutely. It's Friday afternoon. All our, right. Our time at Radio City is dwindling as we speak. That's true. That's true. This is the last Friday show. We got one more day um, today, and then so I've got like an hour and a half, and then the three-hour show on Monday, and that's it. Then yeah. we're 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 leaving the friendly confines of Radio City. Okay, all right. Because the audience is requesting this in honor of of swanky, which is a word that I, I mean, it's I, I just haven't heard it in a long, long time. But I understand what it means, and I so I think it'd be be great to kind of bring that back. Our number is 855-616-1620. Okay, uh, another word and or short phrase along those lines that you just don't hear anymore, but that you think maybe we should bring back. 855-616-1620, your chance to weigh in. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Charlie producing the show today and always that is that that is a cla- classic example of a swanky song right you know almost anything by by Frank Sinatra but fly me to the moon it's it's got that old style elegance and you can just you know picture somebody in a tuxedo or something like that or dressed up and you've got the piano bar and you're drinking the martinis i martinis which are, of course, an acquired taste that over the years I have acquired a taste for them, um, but but just one. It's one of those deals where 
One might not be enough, but two is too many. So when I go out for a nice steak dinner, I will have a Tanqueray martini, straight up many olives. That's the uh, that's the thing. But we're, if you're just tuning in and you're wondering, why is this guy talking about swanky songs and things like that? It's because we just played this ad for a downtown like restaurant, and they said, have a swanky experience. And it just it kind of struck me that I just hadn't heard the word swanky in years. So we're soliciting input on other words that might be somewhat old-fashioned, but nevertheless still convey exactly what they were intended to convey, and maybe should be, since we're very, very retro nowadays, maybe they should be, um, I don't know, something um, that, that you consider bringing back. Jeff, I grew up in the 80s. My pops and grandpops were always saying, slick and boss, that's a boss thing. They also called an attractive woman a dish. <laughs> she's she's quite a dish. Um, that might even be before my time. Renee in New Berlin says, "What about funky? That's just kind of a that 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 whole thing. That's kind of a funky groove that you have down there." Or I don't know. Boy, that smell is kind of funky, huh? Got to think about that. Jeff, bring back hoot. That's a hoot. All right. Well, I can see that one. A number of people are identifying this, and this takes many of us back to our misbegotten boyhoods or girlhoods. How about groovy? Yeah, if you were a child of the 60s or 70s, that was the word. Hey, man, that's really groovy. So you'd hear that word a lot. Jeff, how about hobnob? Like, hey, I'm going to go hang out with my friends, and we're going to hobnob. Um, yes. Jeff, how about God willing and the creek don't rise? Um, yes. Uh, dirty pool. That's dirty pool. Um, that's from people in the millennial. He said, I will use it around millennials and they will just look at me like I am absolutely crazy. Jeff, I'm a nurse at a nursing home. Some common old phrases that I hear a lot are the bee's knees which means that's that's really a that's really a nice thing. It's the bee's knees. I have no idea what the history of that is that, that predates me, but, yeah, that's the bee's knees, which means it's good. And then you can't fight City Hall. Well, you've got that. All right, Jeff, how about that swell? Now, you know, that, that I would put in the same category as swanky. That, that swell, when I, when I see this, it is so completely, so, so completely um, leave it to beaver, you know, if you'd watch the, and maybe this is in honor of the, the past and recognition of the passing of Tony Dow, uh, not that long ago, who played, you know, Wally. But if you go back and you watch Beaver, it was always, gee, that's really swell, Dad, or gee, Wally, that's really swell. That was the uh, thing. Jeff, how about Hanky Panky? All right, you know, um, that's it, Hanky Panky. Like, all right, I don't want to see any, I don't want to see any Hanky Panky. Jeff, how about Spiffy? All right, see, that's it. Um, Like a bat out of you-know-where, like our drivers. Now, I'm not sure that that phrase ever fell out out of style. At least I've been inclined to use that from time to time. Well, I'll be dipped. Yeah, that never made it into my uh, vocabulary, but um, yeah. Oh, here's one that definitely, if you're a child of the 60s or 70s, far out. Man, that's far out. That's that's right up there with groovy. Far out, man. No no question about it. And if you if you watch the old movies from the sixties and seventies and stuff about the the easy rider and the hippie culture and stuff, that's what you hear. Hey, man, that's really far out. Jeff, I like groovy. I think it's extremely 
cool. Um, let's see. Let's talk to Paul. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Paul. It's kind of, kind of cool that you're having this discussion. I think it's really neato. <laughs> it's well, neato. I think a phrase we should be bringing back is "out of sight." Right, right, and and that was in the that's in the same venue for people who say "out of sight." Why is he saying that? What do you mean? You can't see it? No, that's kind of, "out of sight" is like far out. That would be groovy. That would be in that same sort of same sort of thing. That's what you'd use, right? You betcha. You that, betcha. It was explanation point, explanation point. <laughs> that's the thing. Out of out, man. That is just out of sight, Jeff. A friend of mine said the other day, "I dig it." Right, that's a that's a '60s sort of phrase as well. Do you dig it? I I dig it a lot, uh, pal. Let's see. Uh, we talked about a couple of these um, as well. Jeff uh, Ducky, you know that that's kind of swanky. Nah, I don't think Ducky works. Um, Nito, yeah, Nito would be that would be kind of Nito is of the same generation I think as as swell would be. You could kind of see like Jerry Mathers is the Beaver saying, "Man, I think that that's." Really neato. From the eighties. Man, that's totally tubular. <laughs> yeah, that's I I was I was practicing law then, but that's it. How about the cat's meow? Okay, well there you go. That's it. Um yeah, how about hooscow? You know, we're gonna take people to the hooscow. A lot of people with groovy groovy, no question about that. That's one that's there. Yeah, see these are all terms that, that are right up there with they're right up there with, with swanky. Um but I, I think swanky still I mean it exactly it conveys exactly what's going on. Somebody's crib, where they live or they staying. Yeah, man, I'm going to come back to my crib and we'll we'll put on the eight track and uh you know, we'll we'll dance the night away. Yeah, you got all these different things. Well, you guys get the idea. In any event, you know, it's swanky. It's all these different phrases that I think are so very cool that have just kind of fallen out of favor, but you know, if we brought them back, they could be far out, they could be groovy, they could be out of sight. And that would be another swanky tune that in its time was extremely hip, cool to groove to, all those things, all those different phrases that fall out of favor, including some that people sent me that I I just, I'm reluctant to read on the radio, I, just because I, I got into radio to avoid meetings, and, and while I, th- I think it's probably, uh, when, whenever you start off the text to me saying, I'm not sure you can say this on the radio, the chances are I probably can't, and so because I want to try to avoid getting called into meetings, like, why did you think that was a good idea to say that, Jeff? I, I, I demur on that. All right, there are some ideas that might sound good at the time to some people, and then later on, they, they turn out to be absolute disasters, right? There are other ideas that are kind of disasters from the beginning. And everybody should know it's going to be a disaster from the beginning. But for whatever reason, people decide that they are going to plow ahead. You know, here, we've dug this giant hole. Let's just jump in and, and keep digging, the um the Tom Barrett's trolley folly is an example like that. Just it was a bad idea on its surface, and it continues to be like stunningly bad. And now I think at least some people are starting to say, okay, well maybe maybe this isn't working out. This is another one of these ideas, 
And I, I was going to say, I hate to say I told you so, but I really don't uh, because there's a couple occasions I enjoy saying I told you so. Th- this is one. A few years back, the Madison School District in, uh, again, it's rush to the left and its attempt to appease a certain segment of the community out in Madison that hates cops and believes that the presence of police, until they need a police officer, on the street serves as an occupying force and believes that all police officers are evil and, you know, fill in the blanks, all those other things. Uh, A coalition of those sorts of uh, folks with that attitude towards the police were able to convince the Madison School Board to remove public safety officers from the Madison schools. Now, these are... You know, we have talked about this in different contexts before, but the public safety officers are, of course, you know, people that are sworn officers that are in the schools themselves, and they serve multiple purposes. First of all, they are on the school premises, so if there is a problem, what happens is they are presumably, they're, they're closer, they're already on the premises, they can be like the first responder that's there. And that, that's one of the values that they have. The second value, which is, in my opinion, is equally as important as, as being, you know, a, a first responder, it's also the fact that they, I, I think, have the ability to, to humanize the police. So you, you have kids in the schools that see a police officer in a different context than when they've, you know, just been, you know, when they've been stopped on the streets or something like that. It's it's a chance to see police officers as as people and human beings, and I think it promotes police community relations. And I think it's important to start that at an early age. But anyhow, out in Madison, they decided, no, we don't want to do that. We 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 don't want the children to be uncomfortable around police, and they might feel uncomfortable with that, which is a heck of a way to go through life if that is truly the case. But anyhow, the Madison School District, you know, pulled police officers out of the schools. Well, okay, how well is that working out? And and we've, we've had stories like this before, but here's the latest one. Here's the headline from the Wisconsin State Journal. Fights attack break out Wednesday at Madison East High School, authorities say. Police were called Wednesday to East High School for an attack on a student and two flight fights that broke out among other students off campus, police and the school district say. Police were called to the school just before 2 p.m. after a 16-year-old who had been alone in a classroom during lunch was attacked by four others, including two 17-year-olds who aren't East students but attend a different district program. The parties appeared to have some past disagreements that led up to this incident. What 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 a great you know what what great speak you know four guys pile on and beat the you know what out of one guy and it's the parties appeared to have some past disagreements that led up to this incident and then they also sent an email to parents saying there were three separate altercations which originated outside of school during the lunch hour and of course in all these cases the police you know have to respond to these various you know, fights, and then they have to send out the memos to the parents saying this is what occurred and we're looking at charges and things like this. These incidents follow a 2021-2022 school year that saw multiple fights or violence at East that required a police report response, including one in November that drew in more than 15 police officers and sent five students to the hospital. But, but of course, we don't want to have the police officers on campus. We don't want to have them present because 
I don't know, it might send the wrong message to little Johnny or Joni who might be uncomfortable around the police officer. Well, my guess is the kid that got beaten up by the four other kids in the classroom the other day, my guess is he would have wished that there was a police officer in the vicinity because, I don't know, maybe he wouldn't have been beaten as severely as he was if there was an officer that was on campus and in a position to respond. Now, we'll never know exactly how it happened, especially since the school system decided we don't want police in the schools. This was a staggeringly stupid decision when they made it a couple years ago, and it's proved to be a staggeringly stupid decision every day since then. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're scheduled to be joined by U.S. Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina. He's going to be in Wisconsin tomorrow at a big Republican event, but I want to talk to him about some of the stuff going on in the world, inflation. I want to talk to him about crime. I want to talk to him about the borders, and I want to talk to him about, I don't know, might he be running for president in a couple of years? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Melissa, this is where we're kind of winding down here at Radio City. You, you're kind of nostalgic. You're a little sorry about this? A little bit. I'm a little nostalgic. I have to say, um, I did take. Unfortunately, I took my, we have these big, um, like headshots of ourselves in, yep. uh, in the hallway and yep. they're all down. There's two left, Mike Spaulding and Debbie, and I'm guessing they'll take their own, but I took mine home the other night and I was like, oh, taking so, your picture uh, off oh, the wall is like official, right? Oh, okay. It's so what are you going to do with it? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm going to put it in the basement or something. Like, I don't have a room or anything. No, it's, it's, <laughs> right. I won't so, be staring at it. So I was going to say, that. we're going to kind of walk in and do that. But yeah, it's been, um, it's crazy. It, it's also, I mean, as you wander around the, this building, yeah. it's kind of difficult, you know, and, and it, I mean, it really is. I mean, our, our instructions were, uh, clean out your desk, have everything gone by the end of today, and now we will be doing, we'll, we'll be back one more show from, from, from Monday, here on Monday. But, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, How's your desk look? It's, it's empty. It's gone. Yeah. It's gone. I just History. have my purse in my desk, and that's pretty much it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's, it's the end <laughs> of, it is the mm-hmm. end of an era. Mm-hmm. I am extremely excited about our, our next guest. Um, Tim Scott, you have undoubtedly seen Senator uh, Scott on on television over the years. It is an incredible, it's really an incredible story. Right now, he is the senator, United States senator from South Carolina. Before that, he was a congressman. He was appointed by then-Governor Nikki Haley to the U.S. Senate, re-elected in 2016. He is up for re-election in 2022. But he has really taken a, a national approach, and he, he's been all over the country supporting Republican candidates, but also supporting Republican causes, and he's scheduled to be in Wisconsin tomorrow, and we're now joined by the United States Senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott. Senator, good afternoon. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I am excited to be in Wisconsin tomorrow. Right. It's Fall Fest, which is at the Racine County Fairgrounds starting at noon, and you're going to be there with Senator Ron Johnson and Congressman Stile and Tim Michaels, who's the Republican candidate for governor. And I I know there's going to be a lot of people there, and we're excited to have you. Well, thank you so much. I I always look, look forward to coming back to Wisconsin. I've been there three or four times, and I always enjoy my time there. It is an exciting time in our country's history, and no better place to 
win back the majority in the Senate and to see this country get closer to being red to the roots, so to speak, than Wisconsin. So I'm excited about Ron's campaign and certainly look forward to being helpful to Mr. Stiles as well. Uh, Senator, let, let's talk a little bit about some of, of the issues that you see as, as you're traveling the country. And, and obviously, and I, I can't help but bring this up, I mean, the stock market in the tank again today because of, again, the, the out-of-control sort of inflation numbers. What is going on with inflation? And more importantly, what can be done to stop what we're, we're seeing going on on a daily basis, whether it's gas prices or food prices or stock markets cratering? What 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 can we do? Well, well Jeff, I'll tell you, I was on the campaign trail in Georgia helping Herschel Walker, and a man walked up to me, a senior citizen, and said that, his nest egg had dropped by a third, and the prices for his gas, for his food, for his electricity, up by at least 20% or more. He was frightened because of this Biden administration's approach to the economy. The fact of the matter is that when you pour gasoline on a fire, no one's surprised that it goes ablaze. The same is true in the economy. When you continue to spend money from Washington, you artificially increase the price of everything. That causes inflation. The way that you slow it or stop it is by winning in November and turning off the spigot as it relates to the flow of cash into our economy. That will bring it down. The reason why we've had 17 consecutive months of higher inflation than wage growth is because the Biden administration continues to spend around $4 trillion additional dollars than our normal budget. That has led to the last six months of inflation over 8%. We solved this problem by winning the election. We stopped spending money, and we start focusing on a pro-growth economic outlook for this nation. But, Senator Scott, the president said that inflation was only going to be transitory. (laughs) You know, I, I asked that question of Secretary Yellen and Chairman Powell, as well as to the Biden administration, Please tell me the definition of transitory. <laughs> About 21 months later, they found the dictionary and gave me the definition, and they said, this is no longer it. Yeah. Every single common-sense American knew that this was not transitory. We knew that this was becoming a permanent fixture. It's one of the reasons why we have to reelect Ron Johnson. Uh, Senator, we're, again, we're, we're talking to South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. Senator... Um, unless there is some drastic change in, in government policy brought about either by the elections in November or whatever, I mean, are, are we are we heading for a, a long term recession? Are you concerned? I am concerned. One of the reasons why we have to win, why we have to reelect Ron Johnson and all the other folks that are around the country, is because when we win, we'll be able to slow down this inflation and bring it back down to two percent. One of my fears. Jeff, is stagflation. We don't want this to become a permanent fixture. We do not want Americans becoming used to 8% inflation. That lowers our expectations, and it starts to cause a a contraction in our economy. You look at the stock market today. When confidence leaves the market, the numbers drop precipitously. That is terrible for our senior citizens on fixed incomes, hoping that their nest eggs will not be outlived. They need and deserve stability and certainty in the marketplace. We provide that 
by continuing to grow our economy and stop spending money we don't have. Senator Scott, before I started hosting a radio show here 25 years ago, I, I was a federal prosecutor, and so the, the crime issue is very close to my, my heart. Um, here in in the Milwaukee area, where we're based out of, the the homicide level all-time record last year, and it, it appears we're, we're way over that this year. And I know that that's not unique for, for urban areas. What, 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 can, what can government do? What do we need to do when it comes to dealing with crime? You know, the first and most important step is to completely purge this country of the concept of the fund, the police. Number one, it has to be purged, eliminated. Number two, we not only need to stop the conversation around defund the police, we need to start the policies of refunding the police, building the necessary resources into our law enforcement agencies around the country will help to slow the spread of crime. The second thing we have to do is to restore respect to our law enforcement officers. Jeff, I can't tell you. Every single time we see law enforcement officers, we should thank them for the job that they do. Every single day, their goal is to serve their community and then go home to their families. For some reason, our friends on the left have demonized the very important sacrificial job of keeping others safe, even at your own expense. More resources means better training, better equipment, and only the best wearing the badge, as well as the officer goes home to his or her family. That is the two basic pillars to reducing crime. Senator, uh, Senator Scott, I know um, you you went to the United States Senate, I believe, in 2013. Ron Johnson was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 2010. So you, you've, you've pretty much come up through the ranks t- together. What, what's it like working with, with Senator Johnson on a daily basis? Because I, I will tell you here, with, with all the money that's in this, there, there's all these negative ads that have been running for like the last, seems like the last two years. Um, what What is it like on a personal basis to deal with Senator Johnson? tell you what I think some may have not heard is the the compassionate Ron Johnson story. I remember I was probably in the Senate for just uh, less than two years. Ron Johnson comes to me and tells me that he's going to a Catholic school in D.C. because he's going to host a roundtable discussion about the importance of education choice. He believes that every single child in every single zip code deserves quality education, and he was using the power of his office to have that conversation and to highlight or illuminate the importance of good education for our poorest students. I will tell you that that room was filled with with kids and with adults who were passionate about the issue, and the compassion and the leadership of Ron Johnson could be seen clearly as he listened patiently to parents talk about how school choice is changing their children's lives, not just their education, but their lives. More people need to understand and appreciate that while Ron Johnson is an incredible businessman, he's a 
strong believer in free markets. He's a strong, powerful, clear legislator. His heart hurts for those suffering through poor education, and he believes that it is the closest thing to a panacea that we have in America. Uh, Senator Scott, let's change topic for just a moment. I know you're, you're kind of pressed for time. I, I told my wife that I was going to have you on, and her comment was, I love him. He's running for president in 2024, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, tell your, your wife, uh, thank you for such words of encouragement, but I am running around this country to make sure that we have a majority in the Senate and a majority in the House, and the only thing to think about is the next game. Our next game, so to speak, is in November, 45 days before we take over the majorities. Those are days that we can all look forward to. Well, Senator, that, that's a good answer. If, I, I might ask you that again if we have a chance to talk in the future, if that's okay, <laughs> that question. Yes, thanks. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to Wisconsin coming tomorrow. Thank you very much for being with us this afternoon. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. That's uh, Senator Tim Scott. And just a fascinating background. And, again, you've probably, if you watch the news shows, doesn't matter what channel you watch, whether it's CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, you, you've seen Senator Scott. If you don't know, he, he is the um, he's the only black Republican in the U.S. Senate. And very, very compelling backstory. And, again, he's been traveling around the country, um, you know, supporting other candidates. And he will be here in Wisconsin. And, again, he's... He's on the short list. There will be, again, I, I don't know what the field is going to look like, and I don't know whether former President Trump is going to run again or not. But, you know, one way or the other, I would not be surprised to see um, Rick, uh, to see uh, Tim Scott. There's Rick Scott is a senator from Florida. Tim Scott, who we just spoke to, and maybe Nikki Haley, and, of course, you know, Ron DeSantis from Florida, and maybe a handful of others that are there. But I, I think definitely uh, Senator Scott's going to be in the conversation, and he will be in Wisconsin in Racine tomorrow. You know, everything that's old is new again. In, in 1994, which was the first midterm election after Bill Clinton was elected president, uh, Republicans had just, just landslide victories in the House and the Senate. And, and part of it was based on Newt Gingrich, who at the time was the, the Speaker of the House, uh, or what became the Speaker of the House. And they developed something that they called the Contract with America. And, and this was like, like a series of, of goals, objectives that Republicans Republicans intended to implement, you know, if they they took control. And you can argue about how well they were able to affect that. But it was it was simple things to kind of relate to, again, the the general public. And it was very, very successful. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, who stands to be the Republican uh, leader, the Speaker of the House, if if uh, Republicans, as is expected, take control of the House, he's just come out with, I mean, something that, again, they are referring to as their commitment for America that says, OK, these these are what we're going to talk about. And actually, it's some of the themes that uh, Senator Scott was just talking about. They want to build a strong economy focused on fighting inflation and curbing costs think that's something that everybody can get behind. They want to promote a safe nation which focuses on reducing crime and securing the border. So there, I mean, then you have it. You've got inflation and the economy. You've got reducing crime and securing the border. 
Uh, they've got a freedom-themed category related to schools, and which is, again, th- this is it's a huge issue, and I think you're going to see a lot of attention paid to it over the course of the next few weeks leading up to the election. The idea that for in many, many school systems, parents are, are told you really don't have any role in this. Don't tell us how to educate your kids. We are the establishment, and, and we know, and I think this is a little bit of a blowback to that, and then a focus on accountable government. Um, so you, you've got these different factors. I think that they're things that they can relate to, and I think if they're communicated effectively, they should be you know winning messages uh, for Congress. Now, in Wisconsin, I, I think probably the only competitive congressional seat is going to be in western Wisconsin, where you've got Democrat Ron Kind, who's stepping down. He's going to be retiring, and it's a very, very close election. There's no question about it. I, I don't know that I, I, don't, I don't know that anybody knows, but it's how it's going to turn out. But it's definitely seen as a, a huge potential Republican pickup, and all the Republicans need to do is pick up a couple seats across the country, and um, they will take over the House of Representatives and provide this kind of at least check and balance. Balance. Regardless of what happens in the U.S. Senate, it'll be a, a check to some of the things that have been going on over the course of the last couple years. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. One final thought before we move into... Um, Pop Culture Corner, the, the, the latest heavy breathing story in the anti-Tim Michaels media is that uh, Tim Michaels uh, is, is actually did an interview with a radio station up the dial, and we, we intend that we will have him on. I've, I've offered him a significant amount of time to come into the studio, and we will schedule that sometime between now and the election. But the, the question of abortion, and this is, as we discussed yesterday, at one out of every three ads being run by Democrats across the country is focusing on abortion. And Tim Michaels personally is... 100% pro-life. And, and you've seen that. He's given interviews where he say, I, I, don't, I don't support abortion under any circumstances, all right? Well, he, he's out today, and he was asked the question, well, you know, would you sign legislation if it came to your desk? And he said, well, yeah. He said, I, I will sign legislation allowing abortion in cases of rape and incest if it comes to my desk as governor. And it's, oh, this is, this is not what he's been saying all along. I, it, it's... It's really not that difficult a concept, at least it doesn't seem to me it should be. And Tim Michaels personally opposes abortion in all sorts of instances. But he says, hey, if I'm the governor, I recognize that there's a wide variety of opinions on this issue. And if the legislature presents me with a bill that allows abortion in these various instances, I will sign it, even though I might be personally opposed to it. It's it's really not that hard a concept, but of course, this is the latest heavy breathing moment um, for the the anti Michaels mainstream media that, that's out there. I mean, I don't see it as that big a, a change, and I I think it's actually the right position for uh, for politicians to take. That is that okay. I, I have this personal thing based on my religious beliefs or my personal beliefs or whatever. That yes, I I don't necessarily support this, but. You know, I also recognize that this is a democracy, and I don't, I don't want to let my personal opinions on this particular issue overwhelm what I would believe to be the will of the people. So I, I just sent out a tweet about this. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 covering this. All right. Pop Culture Corner. 
which is one of my favorite segments of the week, Pop Culture Corner Time, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. Delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. And as we do every week, courtesy of our friends at Palermo's Pizza, one caller in the complete and total discretion of my producer, Charlie, wins our Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that fast four times in a row. Uh certificate good for two free pizzas and this really cool pizza cutter that I want to score one of them myself and some other things as well that are all part of the prize package. It goes to one of the callers. We get lots and lots of texters, hundreds of texters, but so far it, it's to win the prize package. You, you got you to gotta be a caller on the program. So Pop Culture Corner, if you haven't heard this segment before, we do put away the heavy lifting and we try to have something fun to lead into the weekend. Sometimes we talk about TV, sometimes movies, sometimes sports. Sometimes travel, occasionally food, and every once in a while we talk about music, which always tends to be some of our most popular segments. I was, I was saying earlier earlier today, I was playing in this 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 trivia contest where we go out to dinner with some friends, and one of the questions yesterday was, "All right, who had the most popular version?" of a particular song and in and i think it was ain't that a shame remember the song ain't that a shame and what the question was was it fats domino was it cheap trick was it uh pat boone and i forget who the fourth the fourth choice was there well it, it was a fats domino song and, and everybody in the room except our table put down fats domino my buddy joe who has an encyclopedic knowledge of stuff like that, he said, no, no, no. He said, look, this, this was a big hit. Uh, Pat Boone covered the Fats Domino song. It might have been his song originally, but it was a, Pat Boone covered it, and it went to number one on the charts. So we put down Pat Boone. Everybody else put down Fats Domino, and we were right because Pat Boone's cover of the Fats Domino song actually went to number one. Now, you, you can argue— Maybe you can't argue whether Pat Boone did it better than Fats Domino, but the, the record-buying public, you know, responded in a fashion. But we got to talking about, like, covers of songs, and I thought it would be fun for Pop Culture Corner today to ask a simple question. What, what's the best cover song that, that you've ever heard? You know, what, when you think about, now, what is a cover song? Of course, you know, a cover song is typically a song that's done by one artist, and then another artist comes along and covers that song, you know, redoes it, and it turns out to be, wow, I, I, really, I really like that, that cover song. An example, all right, the song Take It Easy is a song, you know, heading down the road in Tombstone, Arizona. I'm such a fine sight, sight to see, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed fort. That's a Jackson Brown song. Jackson Brown put that out. That song became famous when the Eagles did it. So they covered the Jackson Brown song. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Your favorite cover song, a song that might have been written or originally done by some artist that really was done by somebody else and they did it better or more enjoyably. Your favorite all-time cover song, 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Pop Culture Corner, of course, brought to you by Palermo's Pizza. All right, the show this week, we're talking about covers. You know, your, your favorite cover, a number of people 
are mentioning what is what might be generally recognized as one of the greatest covers ever, Jimi Hendrix, who, of course, did All Along the Watchtower. When you think about well, All Along the Watchtower, wasn't that always Hendrix? No, that's a that's a Bob Dylan song. That's a Bob Dylan song. And but of course, when you think of it, you you think of you, you think of Hendrix as you might do it. Um, another people mentioning Twist and Shout, which is by the Beatles. That, of course, is a cover song as well. And, of course, when you think about Twist and Shout, you, you end up thinking about the, the Beatles as well. 855-616-1620. Jeff, you really got me the kink song. It was done better by Van Halen. Great Eddie Van Halen uh, guitar work. Yeah, see, that's a great cover. number of people are mentioning this as well. And, by the way, I'm very impressed by your, the depth of your musical knowledge. The song Me and Bobby McGee, which was made famous by Janis Joplin. It was actually released after she unfortunately passed away with an overdose death. But everybody thinks about Janis Joplin and her version of Me and Bobby McGee. That was actually a cover. Me and Bobby McGee is a song by originally by Chris Christopherson, you know, of the Sunday morning coming down fame and things like that. And he did it, but she's the one that did the cover. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Dusty. Dusty, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Dusty. Dusty, Dusty, Dusty. Okay, lost him. 855-616-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. My favorite is the Killers cover of Shadowplay by Joy Division because they have they do treat the song with great respect, but they also have this cool use of a foot pedal guitar, and it's, it's available to listen to on their SADA CD, but I did see it live about three or four years ago at the Rave, and it was really awesome. All right, there you go. You got the killers. Can't go wrong with that. 855-616-1620. Jeff, for me, remember the old Simon Garfunkel song, Sound of Silence? I certainly do. It's a great tune. Um, It was uh, redone by Disturbed. Check it out. Not sure I've heard that one, but I get it. Jeff, for me, Live and Let Die. That's one that was redone by Guns N' Roses. Of course, that's the original, I think it was a, a wing song, uh, Paul McCartney's wing song, I think, in the beginning. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Guy. Guy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I, without a doubt, I think it's all along the Watchtower. Uh, you know, Bob Dylan wrote it. Uh, it was an acoustic version. Jimi Hendrix takes it over, electrifies it, rocks it. And Dylan said, he did it better than I ever did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it, it's spectacular. There, there's no question about it. I mean, that's a great one. You know, um, we were talking about Guns and Roses, and we were just talking about the Dylan songs. Uh, the, the song Knocking on Heaven's Door, which I think is just a great haunting tune. It first made its debut in the uh, uh, the Sam Peckinpah movie, uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, which is kind of an odd movie, but I, I like it nonetheless. Any, anyhow, it was originally a Dylan tune, and, and Guns N' Roses redid that, and people just absolutely, absolutely love that. Um, another song that, that gets, it's just, it's identified with the the guy that did the cover, which is, you know, Joe Cocker, who, you know, he did it at Woodstock, and then he did it at Saturday Night Live as well, the, the famous, you know, with a little help from my friends. Um, that's, of course, you know, that's a cover as well. Johnny Cash and the song Hurt, that gets a lot of attention as well. 
1220, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Yeah, and a number of people are mentioning um, that the Johnny Cash song, you know, um, Hurt. Jeff, for me, I love it when Joan Jett redid Crimson and Clover. Um, boy, I remember Crimson and Clover when, from when I was a, a kid. And you got Joan Jett who puts her own spin on it. Teresa in Heartland. Teresa, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, the best cover of all time. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You versus the Dolly Parton version. You know, um, when, when, I, when I prepare these topics, one of the things to help remind me of some songs, I always like do a couple like web searches of, of Billboard magazine or Rolling Stone or, or whatever and, and get the various lists, and then I get two or three and I will compare them. I will tell you on all these lists that I have in front of me, the Whitney version of I Will Always Love You is, is always rated as, as the number one, the best cover song ever. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I um, I wouldn't have. I I just knew that from. I'm driving right now, so I was uh, thinking about it, and that would be my my number one. Yeah. No. Well, that's that is a great choice, and you are clearly in step with all the musical experts. And what else? You are the winner, Teresa, of our prize package from Palermo's Pizza. And I know my producer got your information, and we'll we'll get you coupons for some free pizzas and one of these really cool pizza cutters and all that stuff. That's awesome. I really appreciate that. Well, thanks for listening. Great call. Absolutely. Um, Jeff, greatest cover ever, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston covering Dolly Parker. Um, No question about that. Jeff, for me, it's Smokin' in the Boys' Room, that cover by Motley Crue. Um, Yeah, um, there's no question about that. There's... um, you know, one of my, my favorite recent ones is, you know, Springsteen did the song Atlantic City, and lately they've been playing a version, um, oh, by, it's a it's a female group, but it's Atlantic City. I love the song, and I love the way they do it, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the female group right now. Let's talk to John. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Good. Uh, my my cover uh, favorite cover song. It's great, it's a great song, and there was an original version done by Frank Sinatra with uh, help from Quincy Jones. It's but the Bobby Darin version of Mac the Knife is just the, the most fantastic. Yeah. You know, I I think, and I, I could be wrong on this, and I remember the Sinatra version, but I, I think there were. All yep. sorts of other versions of Mac the Knife as well. Way and, back, yeah, older ones, yeah, from yeah. Three Penny Opera, I guess. So, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And, and nothing yeah. really took off. And then Bobby Darren took that, and it, it just, he made it his own, and it just, it, I mean, it, it really jump-started his career and stuff. But yeah, I mean, that is the classic example of that particular song. Yeah, no, it's great. Right. With, no, Have no. Good weekend, Jeff. Yeah, you Take as care. well. Thanks for participating. Thanks for playing. I, I just, I try to think of if, if you're a regular listener to this program, for example. You know, I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, and there, there's a lot of originals. One of the covers that he does which I just absolutely love, is the song Brown-Eyed Girl, which is a Van Morrison cover. But every, every Buffett show, that that's they'll, they'll cover Brown-Eyed Girl, and that's just one of my favorite songs, whether it's Jimmy Buffett doing it or whether it's the original by Van Morrison. It just I, I absolutely love that one. One of the other covers that Buffett does that I absolutely love is Southern Cross, which, of course, is a great tune that was originally a, a um, 
Crosby, Stills, Nash, and I think Young as well. Um, those are songs. Ba- Manfred Mann's Blinded by the Light, you know, people talking about as that is a cover. I-, I think, you know, sometimes what is so cool about this entire discussion is that you, you don't even necessarily know that what they're doing is is that it's a cover song. Proud Mary, okay, which is, you know, just thought of as being, okay, Proud Mary, that's that's Ike and Tina Turner. Um, but that's that's a Creedence song. I mean, Proud Mary is originally a, a Creedence Clearwater Revival song. And, and yeah, John Fogarty did a great job with Proud Mary. But when you think about that, you, you think of Tina Turner. It's just the, the classic that's there. Um, there's just so many good ones. And so, again, I, I try to always give you something to think about over the weekend when you're driving around and you're listening to the radio or you're listening to your music library or whatever, and it comes along, think, man, that's, that's not an original song. Oh, by the way, not a, a lot of people are mentioning you know, Linda Ronstadt tunes. Linda Ronstadt, as a general rule, was not a songwriter herself. And and whether it's, boy, Desperado or Tumbling Dice, which was, you know, the Rolling Stone song, you know, pretty much anything from Linda Ronstadt in the mid-70s ended up being a cover of something that somebody else did. And they're all just absolutely tremendous. All right. Thanks for participating. That's Pop Culture Corner for this week.